this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Anchor. If you don't know what Anchor is and you're thinking about starting a podcast, you should probably find out what Anchor is because Anchor is a free way to host your podcasts. It also gives you creation tools like the ability to record yourself, record with other people, edit as well, and do it from your phone or your computer. You don't need to go buy fancy tools to start. You can start with Anchor. And you can hit the nice distribute button, and it's going to send it out to all the places you want it to be, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and more. In addition to that, you can make money from your podcast with no basic listenership. In other words, if you only have 10 people because you're just starting, you can still monetize that. It's really hard to find a better place to start. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started on the crazy podcast journey. Welcome to, God, I guess this is the seventh episode. Um, if that sixth episode ever comes out of limbo um, and returns back to us from the depths of I, I or uh, the depths of podcasting hell, oh, man, that's just been a headache. I guess we should tell people what's going on with that. Um, essentially, there's supposedly an issue in the podcast section of iTunes. Where the episode that we submitted on Sunday, as we normally do, which is normally up on Monday for everyone to access, is still to this day not available. Now, it does automatically download for all subscribers, so anybody that's subscribed to the podcast will see it instantly. Um, but anybody that's new that goes through there will only see one episode. Uh and we've gone through all kinds of things. And I keep getting told that, oh, it's a problem in, in, in iTunes. They're trying to fix it. They're trying to fix it. Yet, 10 minutes ago, before we started this, I was thinking, maybe, let me see if it's happening to anyone else. Um, all the large podcasts, all their most recent episodes seem to be up. So I'm not sure if they're just putting those guys at the front of the line because they care more about them and they make more money off of them than us. But, uh... Our episode is, we're recording this one, and the old one's still not up. 
Yeah, so uh, of course the, the stark irony to all of this is there's a very, very good chance that this episode, which is the later episode, um, recorded almost a full week after the, the, the last episode, is going to be up before the other episode. <laughs> very good chance, but I would uh, also point out we are on Stitcher, we are on SoundCloud, uh, we do have our own website, and we our player works right within Facebook, so... And if you subscribe in iTunes, you get the episode instantly. So there's no real problem with any of you guys that are already listening finding it because you're already listening to it. Uh, <laughs> it's just a matter of all the rest of the world. So, yeah. So <clears throat> uh, we apologize for anyone who's having trouble. Um, but we're also thankful for anyone who um, is in a position where they're having trouble because that means you are listening to us in the first place. And this is this is a good time to talk about. This is the reason that um, monopolies are illegal in America. Um, Apple is technically not a monopoly on podcasts, but the competition is so weak that yes, they are. Although it's looking up, people are investing in it, but I mean, there's no motivation for them to fix it if they're number one and no one else is close to them. Not saying that that's what they're doing, but this is a great example of what a company could do. They could sure. easily hold your your services hostage, and that's why it is not allowed in America. Um, speaking of competition, next week, the podcast section of Google Play goes live. So Google is getting in the podcast game. Yeah, hopefully that, that does better than a lot of their ventures into the um, the other arenas that they've attempted with, you know, uh, got it. It's social been media. so unsuccessful that I don't even remember. What was the their social thing called for a while? Plus. Ah, oh, plus. there was one before that, too. Uh, what was the one before that? There was Orcut. Was that them? Was Orcut them? So, I don't think it was. I think it was somebody else. There was something else before Plus. Oh, Buzz. Google Buzz. 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 That's right. Google yeah, Wave. Yeah. There was Google Wave. That lasted about four months. They can't seem to get a handle on that, can they? Well, I think it's just... You know, the problem with, with technology services and social social media networks like that is that it has to attack a new problem um, because otherwise anyone who's adopted a previous version of it, like, for example, as, as annoying as Instagram can be, um, I can't see um, another picture-based social networking platform being successful behind them just because um, as long as it works reasonably well, um, or, you know, and there have been uh, attempts at you know, photo-based social media networks like ViscoCam, for example, which is, by the way, a far superior <laughs> interface in many ways. Um, it didn't really get off the ground because Instagram's got a foothold. You know, same thing with Facebook. Um, so it's it's just tough. You know, even if it's a superior product. Yeah, it, there's a there's a lot more involved in that. Actually, this brings around to the first thing that I have written for this week. You had mentioned earlier in the week before the episode that you wanted to talk about the tipping point. And one of the things in the tipping point to talk about is it's not just about being first, being the, having the most, getting the most views, all those things. It's a stickiness factor that matters. If you do yeah. not have a stickiness factor, nothing matters. It's And this, for those that don't know, stickiness factor is, is literally what it sounds like. Anything that makes something stick with you. Um, if it's a slogan, it would be a good slogan. You know, something something that makes you remember the product, that you're going to remember that slogan. If it's an ad campaign, it's something that's uh, visually you're going to remember. For example, the Jack in the Box commercials when they were really, really funny. Um, th that was high stickiness factor. 
um, Sesame Street, the whole of Sesame Street is built on stickiness factor for children. It's, uh, it's angled to educate them using that stickiness factor to an advantage, but there was extreme amounts of testing done to figure out what was sticky and what wasn't. What could you put on the screen with what? What distracted children from learning? Um, So the stickiness factor is, is, that's what a lot of these companies are missing. Yeah, and I mean, it's really, I mean, I guess you can do as much market research as you want, but, you know, there's, there's, as much as there's an intelligence behind determining what that stickiness factor is from business to business or from company to company, there's also a certain, there's just, there's also a certain portion of chance in that as well, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it's it, it's really hard to anticipate, for example, what videos are going to go viral. Like, I remember the, the big buzzwords around, you know, the marketing world um, a couple of years ago when I was still working in it was, you know, let's make a viral video. What's, you know, it, mm-hmm. but the, 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 the whole the whole idea behind how and why a viral video becomes what it is. Um, is because there's a certain thing that the, the, the general public latches onto uh, with it that are that's really tough to, to anticipate, you know. Um, you know, it's hilarious that we're talking about this because one of the books this week that I was gonna I was gonna introduce into the the equation was uh, uh, one of the books that I, I kind of reread every so often is a book called The Viral Video Video Manifesto uh, Manifesto by uh, Stephen Voltz and Fritz Grobe. I might um, need to read that. It's a pretty cool book. Actually, I was, it's one of the books I was going to recommend to you. Um, I've got two copies of this thing and one basically looks like you own it already. So, um, you know, it has, it has a few coffee stains on it and it, it also uh, is a little dog-eared. So it looks like a book that Chad's been lugging around for like a year. Lived in. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Maybe pre-owned. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the, the, uh, one of the things that's not, um, the problem with all of this market research that's continually done is once again, like you said, it's always a gamble. It's just like um, how many how many uh, market analysts out there are are there for uh, the stock market that have sure. science and all this stuff behind them, but you don't know. People are not. We are not machines. We are not predictable. We are emotional creatures, and what we love one day, we might hate tomorrow. Like for example, right now, because of the podcast thing, I'm very frustrated with Apple. Uh, yeah. Two weeks ago, I was very pleased with Apple. It yeah. goes back and forth, and you can't you can't judge that with a scientific uh, accuracy. And I think that's why um, a lot of the things that succeed really well are things that are done well, but also uh-huh. things that are done with a genuine passion. Sure. Um, the guys who started Instagram were really into photography. I don't know if they were like photographers, like mm-hmm. that level of photography, but they were into images. They were into this idea that they wanted to create something that's centered around that, not because they thought it was going to sell, but because... Mm-hmm. That's what they wanted to do. Yeah, and I think I, I think beyond the fact that that they were that passionate about it too, they solved the problem. You know what I mean? Or at least they 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 introduced a new solution. Actually, is probably a better way to put it. You know? Right. Um, and I remember for a while as a social network, like I, I for a good portion of uh, my usage of it, actually, um, Instagram kind of became a replacement for Facebook. You know? Right. And so I, for me, for me, I, I cruised my feed on Instagram far more often than I ever looked at my Facebook page. You know? Yeah, you're right. I think that's that's part of the reason that Facebook bought them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sure. I mean, it, when it comes down to what it comes down to is is somebody introduces you know this they introduce a cup and they go here's a cup this is social media we're gonna mm-hmm. fill this and it, it hits a point where it fills and it starts brimming over and then somebody else grabs a cup and holds a cup under that and goes I'm gonna catch that. I'm just going to catch this part, just the part that's running over. 
like Instagram saying, I'm just going to grab the photos. But then at yeah. a certain point, that cup fills up too. So, you know, like who's going to parse out, who's going to parse out Instagram? Because Instagram is cluttered now too. Mm-hmm. So who's going to, what's the next thing? Where are they going to parse out? And I think in a way that's kind of, kind of what Vine was. Like, oh, I, I mean, Instagram didn't do video at the time, but they were going, okay, you guys are doing images. We're going to do six seconds. Sure. Um, Snapchat to, you know, 10 seconds. Yeah, and I think um, some attempts have been made to do similar stuff. Like, it, you know, Twitter has its own niche still. Um, uh, although, to be honest with you, though, I find myself less and less interested in, in Twitter in general just because I, I find myself craving more. Um, and I know that's always kind of been the thing with Twitter. Um, you know, it's it's not the place for such things. But I, I find that because it, for, for me, it's, it's, it's now the easiest analogy, I suppose, is, it, you know, I have a pie – of, of, of energy um, and time and what I dedicate, um, what type of energy or time I dedicate to certain things is pretty finite, um, you know, because I have a full-time job and because, you know, my full-time job slash commute requires me to, to, to basically be away from the world. So the, the, the limited amounts of time that I do have to engage in these things um, is very, very precious to me. And so because of that, certain social networks, and in this particular case, Twitter has kind of just fallen to the wayside because I just simply don't have time. And see, I'm the opposite. Twitter's my number one. Everything else is unimportant to me. I guess that makes sense. I mean, you're more of a writer and I'm more of a photographer. So from that perspective, it makes sense that I would care more about visual images versus you where you care more about the written word. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't know. There's something about Twitter's brevity that makes it easy to get through some of the more daunting. Although I find that um, there's less, maybe it's, it has always something to do with who you're following, but overall I find that Twitter has less frivolity than mm-hmm. say Facebook, which is huh. um, more argumentative, more, although have you, have you seen um, what they were, they're showing a prototype of uh, the next Facebook, like a, uh, Zuckerberg showed it on stage at some event, and uh, it's got a sharing box right at the top that's always omnipresent because apparently people have been sharing less and less on Facebook, so everything has been going down. Sure. Yeah, and I've definitely noticed that even in our own Facebook pages is the amount of engagement that we get from our friends, both on personal stuff as well as business stuff, has dramatically decreased, um, at least for me. So. You know, it, 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 as a, you know, in, in maybe two years ago, I would have gotten, you know, 10 shares and 50 likes or something. Nowadays, it's dwindled to, you know, maybe a third of that. And sure, a lot of that is because I'm just not very active on Facebook anymore. I might post like once every three days. Um, and usually it's something about this podcast. Um, so it's not really, I'm not really using the medium for what it's intended for, which is for social engagement. You know, I'd rather just pick up the damn phone. Um, but you know, it's, 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 it's interesting that, that a guy like Zuckerberg, I mean, I, for all intents and purposes, I feel like Facebook is dying a slow death unless it can pivot really, really quickly and really, really hard. Right. Uh, and so I think at this point, you know, Facebook has to make a couple of very difficult choices about how it wants to, to evolve um, and or if it's even worth evolving or if it's worth just coming out with something entirely new um, and pulling pulling a Steve Jobs. You know, here's an iPhone. Um, you're going to need this for the rest of your life kind of thing. You know what I mean? And the problem, the problem with Facebook is, um, first of all, they're banking too much on the power. And don't don't get me wrong, Facebook has a considerable amount of effectivity for, as a social media. For example, my blog views 
80% of my links that come outside of YouTube come directly from Facebook. It's huge. Sure. Um, yeah. But they're also banking very heavily on putting their hands in everything. Oh, they're getting in live video now. Oh, they bought the company so they can do things like Snapchat. They're trying, uh, they're starting to look desperate. And the real problem here is that they painted themselves into this corner. Um, is that the right metaphor? That's a strange metaphor. <laughs> I don't think that's right. <laughs> I don't, uh, I don't, I, I don't I think it's kind of right in its own way. I mean, you're trying to describe them basically defining their own niche and then being stuck in that niche, right? Well, it's not even the niche. I, I feel like it's their, um, the method by which they've monetized things has mm -hmm. been such a sharp angle against what the medium is for sure. that they're actually smothering their own audience slowly, exactly like you're saying. Um, for example, we're seeing, um, okay, we want everything in here. Everybody share everything on Facebook. Share it. Well, when, what happens when everybody starts sharing everything on Facebook is there's too much. And when yeah. there's too much, engagement naturally drops. So then sure. they paint themselves in a corner where they have to start using algorithms to bring what they think is important to the top. Well, then people start feeling like when there's an algorithm, I'm sharing and nobody's seeing this. So then they start sharing less because they don't feel like it's worth the time since no one's seeing it. So every choice that they've made is responsible for the situation that they're in. Sure. But at least on some level, though, at least with Facebook, they didn't. There's a certain sense of, of, of potential hubris that can come along with, you know, having a company that's as successful as Facebook. Um, and I feel like especially with companies of that size, um, you have to make decisions so far in advance um, that you, you can allow yourself the ability to pivot in multiple directions because it's like moving a really, really huge, slow ship. You know what I mean? Like if you don't start that turn way long time ago, um, you're going to end up colliding with something because the ship is too big to turn quickly. You know what I mean? Right. So I feel like you're, you're, you're totally right in the sense that I think right now it's just a smash and grab. Um, Facebook is, is, is scrambling and I, I think they're a smart company. So I think that, you know, in the long run, they'll find successful ways to, to, to evolve, um, uh, so that they'll survive. But I definitely, I definitely feel like at least on some, some level, um, Facebook, Facebook's heyday of innovation is pretty much done. At this point, they're looking for the next big thing from the outside and not the inside, you know? Right. I mean, they don't, the problem is that they're not, they don't have enough of what uh, Gary Vaynerchuk calls jab, jab, right hook. And yeah. jab, jab is give, give, you know, give people things that they want, give them what they want. You're, you're building um, a relationship there. You're building rapport by giving, giving, giving. So that when you <laughs> throw that right hook, when you throw that, hey, there's something to buy. They're willing to do that. They're willing to jump in. They're willing to give you the money yeah. because they realize the value of what you've provided them. I feel like what Facebook did was jab, jab. And then once the second jab happened, they've been doing nothing but right hooking since. Yeah. And that's a problem as a company. It's, it's a poor, poor business practice. And, and you bring up the word hubris, but I think to some degree that hubris is the problem. I think sure. that, um, Zuckerberg is um, under the opinion that he can dominate everything. And when you when you have an idea that you can dominate an entire market, you stop worrying about what your customers want. Sure. And you stop worrying about what you can provide them. And all you start providing is methods to make money. Sure. And that's a problem. And I mean, 
and, and more so than anything else, like, I mean, don't get me wrong, uh, money has been the motivator for plenty of innovation, but I think that in this particular circumstance and in many circumstances like this in many other types of business, um, the, 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 the push for pure monetization is the innovation killer because you no longer, you no longer think creatively, you think fiscally, you know what I mean? Right. And don't get me wrong, the opposite is just as bad. If all you do is jab and never right hook, mm-hmm. you tank. And that's the problem that Facebook's been facing. I mean, yeah. uh, sorry, Twitter has been facing. All Twitter did was free, 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 free give. And they mm-hmm. never gave that right hook. And now they're struggling to float too. Yeah. So um, it's about finding that balance. And if you're providing things to people that they want, there's nothing wrong with asking them for money because you're providing things they want as long as you're actually providing it. Yep, in the words of, uh, you know, um, Heath Ledger's Joker, if you're, you know, or in the words of his father as the character in the movie. Wow, that's a convoluted way to get a quote <laughs> out. Um, if Papa you're good Joker. At yeah, if you're good at something, never do it for free. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, the, right now we're watching, you know, I, I think, and, and you can say this once a year or once every six months or whatever it may be, but I think with certain companies, and Facebook is one of them, it's a very, very scary time for them, and they have the opportunity um, and or the misfortune of making some really difficult and critical choices right now, you know? Yep. And I, I think we're going to see a lot of changes in a lot of companies in the next few years. Um, I mean, not that we haven't already, to be honest, but um, I just I feel like there's this industry that we've been living in, um, this new, I, I don't know what you want to call it, we'll call it the millennial um, world that we've been living in. It's it's past the the stage of chugging up, you know, of becoming. Yeah. Now, now it exists. And now that it exists, things change. Um, yeah. Evolution happens. Uh, you know, it's like with television. Television was exciting, all these things. And then all of a sudden, television was just omnipresent. And then it was bogged down sure. and, you know, all those issues that come with it. And now we're, we're supposedly moving past television. Uh, that's, I think we're, we're reaching the stage of omnipresence with, with the internet and all of these things. And, um, where are we going to go from there? What is it going to sure. mean? Are we going to lose it all to virtual reality? Who knows? Or are we going to lose it all to personal assistance, uh, digital personal assistance? Um, I, it's funny because, you know, it's one of the, the running topics that we have in this podcast that I think is really fascinating. Um, you know, the, the, the question as to where and how AI is going to enter our world, because we can't help that now. It's coming. And mm-hmm. whatever form it comes in is going to be very interesting, whether it's on a personal level or, or a business level. You know what I mean? Like I, I recently just saw some demonstrations of the new IBM business-based one called Watson. Um, mm-hmm. And it's actually pretty cool. Um, it's very much like what we would want Jarvis from the Iron Man series to be in our own lives. You know what I mean? So it's, right. it's interesting. It's interesting to see which directions a lot of the stuff is going and how it's evolving. And I actually think that, you know, the question as to whether or not Facebook is going to die or not, isn't even a question. The way Facebook works is going to die because we're going to evolve past it. You know right. what I mean? Right. Exactly. And, and, and I think that like going back to what you said about the ability to pivot, I think that's a very, very important point that you made there um a lot of people underestimate what pivot means and i I think that um people look at the idea of a company pivoting as a a way to survive but uh 
pivoting is it's, it's part of the evolution. I mean, it is by definition, it is evolution. If you cannot evolve and change and flow with things, then you will go extinct. Um, if you cannot, if you're not the bird that um, has the harder beak to crack the harder shells on that island in the in uh, in the South Seas, then you will die, and another bird will take your place. And that, and, and I think that goes back to what we've talked about before, where I say um, that I believe it's impossible to be a reclusive writer anymore. Because that path is going extinct, and you can't be that anymore. You, you know, and, you know what's funny is, um, you know, back in one of my old companies, um, we did an interview series. I think I talked about this on previous podcasts, but we did an interview series in which we talked to a whole bunch of successful CEOs. Um, you know, we talked to Phil Levin from, you know, um, Evernote. We talked to Jeremy Stoppelman from Yelp. And one of the things that always stood out to me um, was how quickly they were able to change. Stoppelman, for example, um, talked about how when he first put together um, Yelp for what it was, it was just, um, you know, it, it was basically a version of the digital what digital yellow pages. If any of us, if any of you out there remember what yellow pages even were, um, <laughs> and the 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 review feature slash rating feature was totally a throwaway feature that. A couple of guys worked on and kind of threw in there for fun, and they didn't think that it was going to be anything, you know, um, anything meaningful. But the funny thing is, the moment they saw the amount of response and the overwhelming need for the reviews to become a bigger part of the interface, they completely pivoted. Um, and it was a very short period of time in which they did so to incorporate all of those the the, the ratings and 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 reviews features back into Yelp. And so I think that's a good example of of, of a company that went into an environment with a very strong idea in their minds and they could have very easily chosen not to pivot and they could have died on the line because of that, you know? Right. And I mean, wasn't Twitter was something else before too. And yeah, and I don't remember what, yeah. I can't remember. It was a horrible name too. Um, but they, <laughs> but Twitter is a, is a product of a pivot. You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, the opposite end of it, since you mentioned Phil Libin, he's left Evernote now. And the fate of Evernote is kind of up in the air right now because mm-hmm. they haven't pivoted well in the last yeah. few years. They haven't um, they haven't introduced their product to enough new people. People didn't understand what they did. Now, sure. supposedly they keep making these hints that they're working on something new. Whatever they're working on, it better be huge because, number one, they've been taking a really long time. And their product is getting stale. I mean, there's a lot of huge Evernote fans out there. Um, I was one until, oh, yeah, I, yeah. until mm-hmm. I switched to OneNote because there were just certain features that I could do in OneNote that I could not do in Evernote. Plus, I, I bought this Surface Pro and the Evernote Windows version is awful. Um, both versions, the Metro version and the normal version. Um, and the OneNote, <laughs> and OneNote on here is fantastic. Um, sure. I use features like um, link to certain paragraphs, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, in Evernote, you can only link to notes. So to be able to jump to specific things, things like that, those are, and that's an example of a company that tries to cover all their bases. And I honestly, with Microsoft, I have no idea how they survive. Um, it's not that they don't make good things. It's just the ratio is so weird. Is they make everything. So like, there's some really good stuff that they make, and there's a bunch of garbage that they make, 
And yeah. I, I don't know how that works as a business model. It's like just throwing, they're like the U S government. There's just so <laughs> much money going out the door. Nobody even knows where the money's going or what it's being used for. And yeah. nobody has time to care. But you know, the other side of that too is, you know, given that, um, you and I have, have recently just switched over to Evernote as our primary um, One note. mode of being able to, to, I'm sorry, not Evernote, OneNote, I'm sorry, um, to be able to share information. I think there's a certain sense of OS integration that definitely helps, uh, OneNote more than Evernote in that sense. You know what I mean? Like Evernote is still kind of, it goes back to one of the, the things that we talked about a long time ago, which is, if I have to click three different things to get to some simple function, then I'm already out. You know what I mean? Right. And I think there's a certain sense of the OS integration, you know, whether it's the, the Mac OS stuff or the, the Windows stuff that helps their respective, uh, uh, their respective software platforms become much more successful. Um, like even if OneNote sucked, but it did most of what I needed to, needed it to, I would probably use it over a superior version of Evernote just because I don't want to go through the trouble of having to, to deal with a separate app or, or a software program in order to do all of the things I need to do. You know what I mean? Right. And I think that that's one of the things that has always um, baffled me about um, Apple. Apple is so good at so many things. Um, mm-hmm. And I've been waiting. I've been waiting for years for them to find the thing that nobody else has nailed, which is to make everything in the phone work together in such a way that your phone is an app. You know, it's, sure. it's all one app. Everything is connected, you know, and they've made these extensions and all that, but that only killed, what, maybe 10% of the problem. I mean, the contacts app, when you, you know, you go into contacts app, first of all, why is there a contacts app when all that stuff's already in the phone? It's redundant. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Um, but you go into the contacts app or you go into the phone app, and, I mean, there should be, a, you know, like you should look in there. You're looking at this person. You know, they wanted you to put all this information about this person. What is stopping them from doing what all of these other small apps that have not succeeded are doing? You know, like, hey, here's another contacts app. It shows you the most recent emails with the person. Um, it shows you the most the shared files with this person. It shows you their most recent tweet. Get all of that stuff together. It's where everything, you know, notes. Here's a note that you've shared with this person. And you click that and and notes opens and you know to get it all working together and i think that's really what why one note is fantastic is because even though there's a lot of convoluted stuff that um this, where it's just like they're trying to please everybody yeah the ultimate goal from what i look at this app and i look at the other things in the office suite is the ultimate goal is to get them all to work together like one thing and they've been yeah. working towards that yeah, and I, you know, what's what's difficult too is I think that there's because there was a period of time in my life over the last couple of years where I, I strongly considered um, going into Apple development. Um, you know, I, I was working with the SDK and I, I I jumped into Swift and learned a bit of that. But I think the problem is not necessarily um, that the, the technology itself isn't capable of it. I think it's a human problem. Um, and what I mean by that is, I think that. So many people want to design in the Apple ecosystem that don't think outside of that ecosystem. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, and the other side of that is that users themselves don't quite understand how useful it would be to have an all-inclusive device with one software package that did everything. So what I'm trying to say is you're either a genius or the Unabomber um, when it comes <laughs> to discarding these things. Because I think that's really far forward thinking. Like at some point, 
um, I think the evolution will even go past the interface. You know what I mean? Like it's something that we talk about all the time, which is, you know, even even the phone itself with these icons and everything else that, that, that goes along with that is is kind of a clumsy tactile way of doing things when it comes to how these and I think that's that's part of where my frustration comes in, um, you know, the, the tie together to all of the other things we've talked about when it comes to digital personal assistants is that I wish I just didn't have to click on 10 different things to get where I needed to go or do what I needed to do. It's, I, I just need it to work as one continuous software package that has an interface that doesn't require me to, to fumble around with it so much, you know? Which, which brings me to something that actually, like, I'm, right now I'm holding my, my Surface in my lap with the, with the pen magnetically on it. As my notepad for this episode, I thought I would try it. It was an experiment. And I can tell you, just sitting here with this thing, I feel uncomfortable. Yeah. It, uh, I don't know what it is. I mean, form factor-wise, it's not that different than a notebook. But there's just something about it that doesn't... Maybe it's because the damn thing keeps uh, <laughs> that keeps sleeping on me because I'm inactive. And a piece mm-hmm. of paper doesn't do that. And sure. I think that the, the way that we're going to achieve these things in my whatever you want to call my opinion my opinion i guess um it seems like what we're trying to do is we've been trying to create these devices that do everything in reality what we should be doing is creating devices that do one thing and do it really well but Uh interact with other devices sure so i pull up that book you know like in the future ultimately many many years in the future i pull a book off the shelf whatever right because I believe books will still be in the future. But I'm reading that, and I'm highlighting. And what I'm highlighting somehow is being transferred to the device that I use as a notebook. Sure. So that when I go there, I have all my highlights available to me. I don't need to go in and download the app and then send this to that one and then send oh, this exactly. one. To, you know, it's just <laughs> I highlight it, and it happens. All this stuff, when, when the magic really happens, when they get all this stuff down, including um, these personal assistants, all of this stuff is going to be in the background. All of the all of the mechanics, you know, like uh, the man behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. All we're going to see is the big head, and that's yeah. cool. Well, I mean, it, it's it, I guess the, the 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 analogy is like you know you when you're driving a car, you don't necessarily think about you know pistons moving or combustion happening or fuel being injected to certain parts. It, you don't worry about lubrication for the the parts themselves, you don't worry about spark plugs firing. You don't have to do all of that manually. And right now, I think part of my frustration with the technology world is I still have to do everything manually. And as much as some of the stuff's been automated, it, it's it's only automated after I've done it once or twice or 20 times. You know what I mean? And I think because of that, the, especially with, with my phone, I find I find myself using my phone less and less um, unless I can get away with using it without having to touch five different apps to do something. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, even in the world of, of, of photo and video editing, I just, it's still an, it's still a pretty archaic way of doing things. You know what I mean? Like the, the interfaces have changed. The tools have been slightly modified and evolved a little bit, but overall the, 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 the mentality or, or, or the methodology by which those things are done still hasn't really changed all that much, you know? And I think that, um, like, one of the things that I'm very excited about um, going forward with with OneNote is uh, a lot of people don't know this feature, but there's a find tags feature within there. And the find tags feature essentially um, tags, well, the way I don't want to go into this too deep, um, but tags essentially in OneNote are very different than everywhere else. 
Um, everywhere else, you know, you create your own tax. We all know what that means pretty much. You know, like this note is about uh, fishing. Okay, when I search for fishing later, this note and every other note that I've given that tag are going to come up. In OneNote, you're not tagging notes. You're not tagging notebooks. You're not tagging folders. You're tagging items. So yeah. I go um, wash dishes. And I put that little square, that little to-do square next to it. And then in another note, I'm doing something else. And I write uh, you know, or I type uh, read Proust and the squid. And I put that little square next to it. Well, if I collect those through the next couple weeks and then I go, okay, what is everything I need to do in my OneNote? I don't need to jump through all those to all those notes and all those notebooks and remember all that. I go find tags. I hide everything except for the to-dos. And it just gives me a list of all of the to-dos that I have throughout my OneNote. And then I can say, boom, make a note of this. And now I have a list of it on a sheet. Now, that's great. But until the day that they do two things um, is not going to blow my mind that much. Mm -hmm. Until, sure. number one, they bought Wonderlist. Until the day that I open Wonderlist and all of those to-dos throughout my OneNote automatically show up in my Wonderlist, that's an amazing day. And, yeah, and or organize themselves in such a way that you, you don't have to fight your way through 10 different sections of 10 different lists. See, that's part of the problem with some of these list um, slash to-do list things, too, is that they're buried in folders, in folders, and ugh, it's it's just nightmarish. You know, even with the tag system, um, with a lot, like I tried to use that with Evernote, for example, um, and I still found it to be so cumbersome that it just became more trouble than it was worth to actually do. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get. I think um, there's a certain oppressiveness that we we take on to to-dos. I, I think that um, I think that's why the OneNote thing is so appealing to me in the sense that I can have all of that stuff in my in my OneNote. Say, I mean, uh, say I don't want all. Of the, I have a hundred items. I don't want them all to be actionable mm -hmm. to this week or this month, even. You know, say some of those things are for the future. Instead of tagging those with with the to-do. I tag it with, uh, you know, like the little, they have a little umbrella that says remember. Um, just tag that with the umbrella, right? And just put yeah. the to-dos next to the things that I want to see. And then I all I need is a simple app that does one thing. I open it up, and it shows me just those to-dos. And when yeah. I get done with those, I can go back into OneNote and change all those umbrellas into to-dos into to when I need them to be to-dos. Because you're right, the one problem with these to-do apps is glut. We just fill it up to the point where even like Todoist, which is one of my favorites, um, I write for them. I think that they have a great interface. If you put too much stuff in there, it becomes a pain to work through, to um, pull things through. Because there's, I mean, there is no interface that can deal with that much in, in information in a way that's not going to clog. That's why paper works. A, a sheet mm -hmm. of paper is only so long. So, you know... Here's my 50 to-do items. Okay, that's all that's on this page. There's never going to be more than 50 items on that page. Mm -hmm. And I, I, that's, uh, I don't know, did you ever use, um, there's an app called Swipes. Did you ever use that one? Yeah, I did. Um, I, I vaguely remember it. Um, but I remember it being pretty straightforward and pretty simple, but I haven't, I haven't touched it in a while. What I really loved about that app, and I... I haven't checked in it on in a while, but I believe it still works this way. I know that they've been making forays into uh, integrations with Slack for business users. 
but the yeah. personal one, I believe, still works this way. Essentially, you have um, three tab sections. You know, you have the left section, center section, the right section. You only see one section at a time. Um, the left section is things for the future. The yeah. middle section is today. The right section is done. And essentially, the way that that worked for me, I don't know if this is um, how everyone uses it, but I believe this is the way it was designed, is you're supposed to go through it, and everything is called swipes because everything is swipe-based. So you're supposed to go through that list on the left, right? And look through that big, long list of things, and you can tag things so you can narrow things down, and you just find the immediately important things, and you swipe them to the right. And that turns them green, yeah. and it puts them in that middle section so that when you're working, all you see is that middle section. All you see is that active list. And there's something really powerful about that in the sense that, okay, here's my storage bank, here's my to-do list, and then here's my archive. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that's the way closest to how our brain works. Sure. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I remember liking that app a whole lot when, when I tried it originally. Um, and I, was, I think I was around for iteration two or iteration three where they had just introduced the features that you're talking about. Um, and I don't know why I stopped using it actually. Um, I think it's because at that point in my life, I, I was, I, I needed more of a tactile. I, I carried a notebook around like you for a while. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think I may end up going, uh, back to trying out some of these, like these, these old apps, um, like swipe, uh, because at least on some level, um, I remember thinking that their interfaces, their interfaces were pretty simple and pretty advanced. I've, what I've been really craving is just like, something so basic and nobody makes it but just something so basic to where all that confusion is because I, I i i use todoist to hold as my repository but i don't work out of any to-do app i can't sure. um yeah it's, it's it's too hard to work out of an app it's too distracting so what i do every day i have this is my big article that i wrote for todoist essentially but what i do is i go in and i look at my tasks and i go all right what are my top three tasks today and I write them on a post-it, and I work off that post-it for the day. And if I finish those three, I'll dip back into the app and find something else. But it, I just, I mean, there's so, so many things that we're dealing with at all times that we have to find ways to hack our brains. How does our mm -hmm. brain work? And that's that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about this week. Um, what are your thoughts on... Uh, I, I mentioned briefly the idea of single-use items, but what are your thoughts on multiple computers for multiple purposes? Um, I mean, single purposes. I'm sorry. I have I have a few different responses for that. Like right now, as I sit here, um, you know, I'm working on my Windows machine. Um, I have my iPad next to me for research. I have my MacBook next to me for for taking notes. Um, there's a Mac Mini somewhere in my room controlling my TV. Um, and I hate that. I absolutely hate it. I mean, really? at the end of when I'm shutting down for the day, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I, I, there's, there's a certain part of me that likes it just because I know what machine to pick up for what, you know what I mean? Um, but I, I just, to be honest with you, I don't want to deal with any of it. Um, what part about it is the, what is, is the, I guess the word of the week for me is oppressive. So what part of it is oppressive? Um, not knowing what device to take with me to certain places. Um, like for example, if I'm, I'm going to, uh, need to edit photos, then I need to take my MacBook. You know what I mean? Um, if I'm, if I'm just doing writing or, or, or just basic web stuff, um, um, or programming stuff, then I bring my, my PC. You know what I mean? 
Um, and already between those two, I'm dealing with two different OSs with two entirely different UXs. You know what I mean? Um, and, 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 and UIs. So I think it's funny because I flip flop on this. Um, there was a period of time in my life where I was really frustrated at my MacBook trying to do everything and not doing anything well. You know what I mean? Um, but I think I grossly overcorrected for that by specializing my devices too much. Um, and now I, I'm, I'm kind of held hostage sometimes when I'm in a situation where I need a certain device and I don't have it with me. Um, so I don't know. It's tough. It's, it's tough because I, I kind of go back and forth depending on how specific my needs are um, for technology at any given time. After, after my incident yesterday with YouTube, which we'll go into afterwards, um, <laughs> I was going to ask you about <laughs> my device usage um, has changed. Um, yeah. And right now, I'm really liking the idea of, like, for example, um, we're using my MacBook Air right now, or I'm using my MacBook Air right now to record this. And I like the fact that um, when I clean this up, because this was, I was using this for like 80% of things. I was yeah. doing my video editing on here. Um, I like the fact that when I get this desktop and everything cleaned up, there's not that much to clean up on here. But when I get it cleaned up, that when I open this computer, the only files that I'm going to find sitting on that desktop are going to be files related to this podcast. Interesting. And um, it, it's maybe it's it's um, maybe it's different for me because um, I'm dealing with so with a mass of so many files every day. Um, sure. Just to keep this brief as possible to explain what an average day of files on my computer is like. So if I'm using one computer for everything. Um, and it's a day that I'm editing the podcast. If we're lucky and we make it through this broadcast, broadcast, wow, great for me, um, <laughs> this recording without having to stop, I'll only have one file. But usually um, in the past, we've gone through three, four, one episode, we had like 12 files because the signal kept getting junky. We had to stop and restart. Um, and those are sitting in a folder. But when I pull those out to work on them, I need to pull them to the desktop so I can see them. So we'll say we get through this episode and I have three files um, like we did last week. Two files and then one in the middle where we were talking about um, where we left off. And I'll have three files sitting on my desktop. And then I I don't edit the podcast the same day, you know, so they're going to sit there. And then I'm going to pull in my video. I need to do my video. Well, I need to pull that off of three different memory cards. So I'm pulling files off three different memory cards. Boom pull some off this one, pull some off this one, because I'm using different cameras. All of a sudden, I have 57 files on my desktop. And when I open Premiere, I need to import the files. I I need to pull a music file for the guitar riff that I've written for the day out of of Dropbox. That's on the desktop. I need to pull in um, the templates for the titles that I use every day. And I need to pull in a screenshot of the day, day before's vlog so that I can put that at the end. And I have all this stuff on the desktop. And when I go to import from Premiere, it's just going to pull up a window of everything on my desktop. And if I have all kinds of different files, including stuff for the podcast, I got to sit there and go, yes, this one. No, don't take that one. Yes, import this one. No, not that one. But knowing that when I go to edit video on the surface later, the only files on that desktop are going to be for the uh, vlog means I can just click everything and go import. And when I go on this one to edit the podcast, I can click everything on this desktop and just go right in to edit that. And that alone makes me so 
happy. <laughs> well, have you ever used have you ever used the multiple? Because I I used to have that that same issue as well, um, and I remember really really liking the the multiple desktops feature on my macOS uh, device. You know what I mean? Like when I was using my MacBook for most of my stuff and then carrying only one device around, I had different desktops for different things, um, and each one of them held only files for that specific thing. Yeah, the, I, Windows has that as well. It it never seems to work for me the way that I want it to. Um, sure. I, I've, I, you're talking about, just to clarify for people listening, there's two different ways to define what you're saying, and I want to clarify which one you mean. And I believe you're talking about when you sign on, you sign on to a different account, so essentially you're signing on as this user with this desktop as opposed to... Uh, no, actually, uh, on the Mac OS, you can just literally switch between you. You can set up desktops individually. Um, yeah, yeah, but that that has all the same files on it. Every every uh, every uh, desktop has the same files for me, at least, unless there's a setting I don't know of. Because I have you, two desktops as standard, and both files yeah. have the same files. You might you might be right. I might be crazy. Um, I would love if that worked because that's that's been my problem with it. I'm like, this would be great. Oh, doesn't do that. Sure. I mean, have you have you made an attempt to use your Windows machine that way? Because you know, of course, it allows for multiple logins. Actually, your macOS does too. But um, no. I mean, I I think that there's there's a there's there's got to be a way to pull that off uh, because the framework for it's there among the devices and OSs that we have. I think this goes back to your thing about um, being tired of those things. It's like I don't want to have to set that up. I don't sure. want to have to go through that work. <laughs> and, and, yeah. It's just easier for me to grab one machine and have that do that and grab another one because there's no setup there. Just, sure. As long as I don't put anything that doesn't belong on this computer, it's all good. I think what, what we're both talking about, um, you know, and something that's been kicking around in my own brain is just the, the tedium of technology. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that there's there's a very strong sense of just slow, meticulous crappiness that comes along with having to to set up an app for the first time, even if it's an app that you know and love. Like, for example, um, I have Photoshop set up a very certain way on my Mac OS machine, and the thought of just redoing all of those, finding my new extensions, you know, getting all of my brushes and fonts and stuff is just so, so painful of a, a thought that I, I, that just, just, just the need to do that would probably make me not want to use Photoshop for like a week just because I wouldn't want to do all that again. You know what I mean? And we're techie people. Imagine how the average person feels. Oh, I, I can't, I can't even imagine. <laughs> I almost feel, I almost feel like when you, when you download an app, it should ask you questions that define what kind of user you are. So sure. when you open it, it works, you know, like, Hey, I'm just a guy that's going to open this and I don't want to tweak anything. I want everything basic. Boom. Here you go. You know, average user setup. And, and I think that, that that wouldn't be a bad way to start with this problem. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that that's why these personal assistants and all this stuff are rising to the top. Because, yes, it is way easier to be able to say Siri, Cortana, Alexa, whatever your name is this week, please open my email app and send Lam an email mm-hmm. and have it work. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and even if it's a tactile version of that on my 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 computer, like for example, anytime uh um any of these uh email clients, for example, run updates, whether it's Outlook or or, or uh, Thunderbird or whatever whatever app that you're using for or software software that you're using to achieve um 
that that level of control of your inbox like there's there's always growing pains um whenever you you update an app for example with thunderbird i mean thunderbird's great and it's open source so i mean that's kind of cool i guess but anytime i i update it i always have to worry about extensions that i've set up not working anymore you know what i mean um and so there are times where like i'll wait for for compatibility with certain extensions before i i run an update just because i don't want half the stuff that i've set up to just break you know what i mean yep and I think that's that's the problem of complexity. I think that's why some of those are the simplest apps, you know, like people complain, and I was one of them, complain about how basic the Reminders app in iOS is. Uh-huh. But the more you work and the more things you do and the more applications you work with, the mm-hmm. more appealing that simple little list starts yeah. looking <laughs> where you're totally. like oh all i have to do is open this app and then just put it in there and leave cool and and i think that that's the appeal of their notes app too why they uh-huh. haven't made it more robust you know people say are talking all the time is that the evernote killer all these things no because it's two different users sure you have the the people who who need these and and don't i i have that split inside me and i think we all do there's part of me then wants to ditch OneNote too and just start using that simple one. But then mm-hmm. when I start thinking about finding things, I'm like, oh, that will never work. But yeah, or even the stuff that we needed to do this week with, you know, um, just dropping in the, the the file for the podcast and then integrating notes and links and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's there's a certain level of of of, of control that OneNote gives you that you wouldn't be able to achieve with just the, the simple notes app. You know what I mean? Right, and I mean. And it has one of the best uh, contradiction. Is that the right word? Um, where I make changes, you make changes, and they contradict each other. I don't know if it's called contradictions. It's conflict. 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 Yeah. Thank you. Because um, sure. it just made uh, like I went in the other. You and I were working. We should tell people we were working on uh, the show notes for last um, last week's episode at the same time in the same note, and. At a certain point, I don't know if our connection got slower or something, but I stopped seeing what you were doing. I think you stopped seeing what I was doing for a little bit. Yep. And all of a sudden, I had three different notes, three different versions of the note. And I was like, oh, God, this is going to be horrible because, you know, one's going to have some of this and one's going to have. No, I literally just looked at the three and and went, oh, cool. It's this one. And then got to delete the other two. It took me one minute. Yeah. Uh, So that was cool. But. That's one of the few cases where, where technology this week has not failed me. Uh, I remember having those problems in Evernote. Jeez, um, now that you say that. It was a headache. Remember, you know, I was, I was working with Crystal and I was working with, with Matt and I was working with a bunch of people. We all had Evernotes going at the same time, shared notebooks, um, you know, shared individual notes, shared files. And I mean, just the syncing problems alone um, and how it handled conflicts was so just uh, so, so aggravating. And um, and I'm, I'm sure it got progressively better as they started to figure that out more and more. Um, but man, like it was, it was so bad for a while that it actually turned me off to using Evernote for a couple of months. Um, just, it was the only app at its time, at the time that allowed me that level of real time um, collaboration access. You know, like I mean, it was great in, in what it did, but man, when there were problems, they were just monumentally annoying. You know. <laughs> and I think ultimately, like to me, I'm like I'm kind of whatever about live collaboration. Like, yeah. if I really, if I need to wait 15 minutes for you to type what you're typing and then look, that might be better. You know, I don't know that, like, 
it, it was hard for us when we, we were doing that. And I had to tell you, you know, like skip to the middle and start from there. And then if I'm sure. going faster than you, then I catch up and then, you know, it becomes confusing. Um, sure. And then it's like, am I making you do something that I could have just done all by myself? And then have we really, did we just use both of our time when only one of us should have been doing it? It's, it's hard to tell because none of that stuff works like being in the same room. Yeah, I mean, if, if our tools were more flawless, I guess, then then we'd have a better sense of, of how efficient we were. And I think that's what it comes down to for you and I, you know, is that we we're both we both have a lot of random stuff to do. Um, and so because of that, like the, the more efficient we are, the better off we are, because then we can use that 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 time that we have together to build instead of maintain. And I think for, for the for you and I, I think that's that's the key the key, the key question, I think, for, for a lot of users of these programs, um, whether it's you know personally or professionally, is how much more efficient does this make you, and how much more useful is the collaboration than not having the collaboration? You know, right? Because I mean, ultimately, we want these things um, to become invisible. You know, like they say, the best directors and the best writers are the ones that you don't think about what they're doing um, mm-hmm. because they've just woven something that um, is seamless. And yeah. I, and and that's what we need, and uh, we're reaching an hour right now. So I want I want to make sure that we talk about books and stuff. But before <laughs> before we leave technology, I do want to do a short little rant about my YouTube episode yesterday. Yes, get it. I've been waiting. I've been waiting for this one for <laughs> two days, dude. So on top of the podcast, I had a problem with that. It wasn't YouTube. I shouldn't say my YouTube problem. Uh, YouTube is still fantastic. Um, I've been using, as I mentioned earlier, this older MacBook Air and four gigabytes of RAM on it. And I've been running Premiere on it, editing my daily vlog on this thing, um, including doing uh, creative uh, creative looks, which is essentially um, color and contrast grading, um, doing time lapses, uh, all kinds of very taxing, taxing things. And... Uh, the minimum you're supposed to have for this program is what I have for. Eight is recommended. So <laughs> I've been pushing okay. it for very long, right? And it was to the point when I would put, um, so essentially the, I don't want to get too technical, but essentially when you bring in, say you bring in five clips, right? And obviously you're going to cut those clips. You're going to cut them into smaller chunks. You're going to cut out little things. Um, so maybe you're going to end up with 15, 15 separate cut up pieces um so essentially when you're working on a fast computer what you're supposed to do is go in and color grade those when there's only five of them because then you can see what they look like and then you don't have to do it separately um i couldn't i could not do that because once i would color grade them i couldn't watch the footage Mm. because the computer was too slow so it would skip so i'd have to do my color grading last so i would take in like like i said you know 20 to 40 clips and then cut them up and make my whole sequence for the day, which sometimes ends up being like 100 short little clips, and then have to go in and color grade those individually before exporting because my computer was so slow. But I found my workaround. This is why it would take a while. Well, everything was going peaches yesterday, peaches, just like every other day. And then I go to export. When I go to export, like I said, the computer is slow. So a five-minute video takes... Uh, roughly an hour to encode and so i start the encoding like i normally do and i'm doing something in another window all of a sudden about 45 minutes into the encoding 
I get a pop-up. It's closed. Uh-oh. What? It failed. Whoa, what happened there? Okay, it's just a hiccup. Sucks, I lost 45 minutes. Um, and luckily I started at noon, and I usually post these at 3 is what I'm thinking, right? So I tried again. 45 minutes go by, approximately. I'm not paying attention to the exact time. Boom, fails again. Oh, man. Okay, so at this point I'm going, all right, it's, it's just, you know, do the, do the trick that everybody's taught us to do, restart the computer. So I restart the computer, try it again. 45 minutes go by. Now I'm, now I'm approaching the time that I normally post this. Fails again. So obviously I'm not going to make it on time. So now I'm on the phone with Adobe. I get on the phone with Adobe. I'm on the phone with the guy for three hours. In those three hours, Whoa. he does essentially what I've just done. Because he needs to watch it and see where it fails. He watches it. He sees where it fails. Whatever, right? We still can't figure it out. Still can't figure it out. We're going through all these things. Finally, I'm, I'm starting to lose, like, lose my mind. Like, literally starting to lose my mind. And I tell this guy, I'm like, is there a way? Because what you guys might not understand is, so you have a project file for a video. But then you have all these associated videos. Well, you can't just take that project file and go to another computer like you can with a Word document. Because when you get over there, it's going to have all the arrows. But the arrows are going to be pointed at nothing. Because you don't have all the associated files. So now you have a sequence of nothing. So you need a way to take the program file, all the associated file, and all the associations. So he goes, okay, there's a way to do that. So he shows me how to do that. I put it on the Seagate external drive I have. I go over, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to try this on the Surface. Every other time I've tried to use Premiere on the Surface, it has crashed. In the three hours that this guy is on the phone with me, I read a forum and they say, it crashes on the Surface because... The standard mode for editing uses the graphics processor. Well, the graphics processor is integrated within the surface, so and it, it's not compatible. So that's what crashes. You need to go into software-only mode. I'm going, oh, my God, I've been looking for this answer forever because this surface has 8 gigs of RAM. It's double this guy. So I take the file over there, and I'm so excited that I'm going to get this to work, right? And <laughs> it doesn't recognize the external drive. Oh, no. <laughs> so I unplug it. I plug it in again. Unplug it. Plug it in again. Okay. Now I, I take it back to the other computer. I plug it in. Now I'm transferring the from that external drive to another external drive. Now I plug it in. Fine. I've got the stuff. I get it on the computer. Crashes. I get Jeez. on the computer. Crashes. I get it on the computer, computer. It crashes. Finally, after like four attempts, I go, okay, I'm not going to change the render mode. I am just going to try to encode this there's four seconds usually before it crashes i hit the hot key i get that app to open and it starts encoding and now you know, it's like <laughs> like, the, like sunlight coming down from the heavens and i'm dancing around my room you know like <laughs> praising the rain gods and then all of a sudden it fails just like it did on the other computer uh. and it fails again twice now i am eight hours into this Literally eight hours to get this video that I've already edited onto YouTube. And so I go in and I'm looking and there's color bars that will show you how hard the, the processor is working on certain parts of the video. And I see mm -hmm. these three tiny slivers, milli literally millisecond slivers in between clips that are bright red. And I go, there's the problem. That's about the time. And I look, and it, you remember the morph cut we had talked about last week where I disappeared and reappeared? Yeah. 
I had used morph cuts on two effects, and I don't know if I had too many other effects running, the morph cuts were causing it to crash. The moment I deleted those, boom, it was up. I had it on YouTube at like 9 o'clock at night. Jeez. And I think I have four hairs left on my head. Yeah, that sounds terrible. So uh, that's my story, and uh, it sucked. <laughs> but I was dedicated to get that video out. I made a promise to myself I was never going to miss a day. And mm -hmm. if I had to be up till 4 in the morning, I was going to do that. Um, so let's, let's move into Lamb Zone. Lamb, tell me, tell me something about your week. Tell me uh, what are you reading, what are you watching, what are you listening to, what do you want to tell me? Well, I'd already mentioned the, the viral video manifesto, um, which um, one of the things in here, I remember reading a passage on it, is don't let your technology get in the way, um, <laughs> which I think is oddly appropriate for the the dragon you basically had to slay to, to get that stupid video up. Um, I mean, it, it's 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 a great read for anyone who's looking to do, um, you know, but, but obviously anything about viral video or, or social marketing in the modern technology world is pretty much obsolete the moment it's written. Um, so go into it with a grain of salt. Um, plenty of the stuff is really, really useful, but some of it's also pretty outdated. Um, so, um, you know, take a look. Um, it's a pretty good read all the way through, and it's a really fast read. Um, it's definitely something I'm going to lend you the next time I see you, so that's another book on the list. Um, another book that I'm reading, which I'm obsessed with, um, for anyone who's listened to any of the previous podcasts, I'm, I'm into infographics and design and typography and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm reading a book at current called Infographica, um, and reading is a very loosely used term there. Um, it's by Martin and Simon Tolsland, um, and they, it's basically information on the world in the form of infographics, and it's really, really cool. Um, so that's one that I, I definitely... I definitely, I definitely would recommend. Um, and the last and, and, and but not least is just because I've been so morbidly curious about it, I finally picked up um, um, Star Wars um, as written by Shakespeare. <laughs> I have not cracked it open yet. I have not, but I hear it's amazing, and I hear that they stick to ambic, iambic pentameter um, pretty strongly. Which you know, I for 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 most, I'm, obviously, no one knows this, but I'm a kind of a big Shakespeare guy. So I'm very curious as to how they pulled that off with the Star Wars script as their template for the story. It's really interesting. That sounds brilliant. Yeah, what about you, man? What are you reading? I haven't been reading much, in all honesty. I still haven't finished David Carr. I've just been slammed with so much stuff that I, I don't think I've literally picked up a book in the, in the last week. It's yeah, surprising no. for me. Have you gone any further in uh, Night of the Gun? No. Like, literally, I, haven't, uh, I don't think I've listened to it or... any. Read any, I read a magazine yesterday. That's the extent of my reading this week. Shocking. Uh, what about music? What are you listening to? Uh, nothing there either. <laughs> so I'll this section of the podcast is going to be really brief. <laughs> uh, I'll talk about television because I, I have found a little bit of time for television. Um, I've been watching The Monsters. What? I love The Monsters, man. I really do. It's It's such a... There's something amazing about that show because it's very much a 50s, you know, like family values type show. But at uh -huh. the same time, it's all of that turned on its head. Like they are a very wholesome family, but at the same time, they are not. It's like yeah. the Adams family is a similar, similar situation. And, it, and that Munsters theme is probably the best theme song of all time. Yeah. Huh. 
Wow, I haven't even I haven't thought of that show in uh, God probably fifteen twenty years by now. It's so I mean it's not it's not like you watch it and you're like wow this is cracking me up. It's just I don't know there's there's an innate coolness to it. Yeah, that is you know you just watch it and you're like I dig it. You know it's it's like people who love the Brady Bunch. It's not that the Brady Bunch is good. It's just mm-hmm. you have a place for it. Um. And not in the way that we had talked about with Fuller House and Full House, you know. It's it's not that um, nostalgia for the for a part of yourself from when you were younger. Mm-hmm. It's more. It's just. It's one of those shows, you know. It's like Scooby Doo, where you're like, the scripting on this is awful. It's the same thing over and over again. But I like it, and there's mm-hmm. no excuse for why you like it. You just do. Yeah. Uh, and and in contrast, I've also been watching Saved by the Bell. Wow, what I'm do really highbrow some, this week, huh? Yeah, do you have some weird nostalgia thing that I'm not I'm, I don't know about? What? <laughs> no, you know what I think it is is I'm just I'm using so much of my brain energy uh-huh. that um, I'm not I don't have the willpower right now to invest in something deeper. Um, uh. You know, like I can't. I've I've been avoiding watching um, the second season of Daredevil just because yeah. I'm not ready to invest in it. I sure. don't I don't have the emotional and the mental capacity right now to do it. Um, I I'm living on a very tight rope, and uh, I, I I don't have room for those things right now. I'm I'm busy creating. I don't have time to ingest. I guess is the way to say it. Yeah, I feel like I'm kind of in the same boat too, um, with the exception of, of certain things. Like, uh, I am, I, 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 there's a part of me that just really, really loves watching people who are amazing what they do, do what they do best. Um, and, you know, as of the last couple of weeks, I've been diving into pop music a little bit more. And, uh, um, if anyone, if, if you haven't done so, um, and we're definitely putting this in the show notes. Please, please, please go look at Lady Gaga's performance of I Wish during the Stevie Wonder tribute uh, concert. It is one of the most riveting performances I've ever seen of any live song ever done. Um, wow. And Lady Gaga, I, I mean, I, you know, I knew a lot about her background. So, I mean, it, it doesn't really surprise me that much. Like, you know, for as much as she is huge in the, the, the pop world, like she is definitely a a virtuoso musician you know she went to art school and wrote you know um, analytical papers on you know religion and social issues and politics and everything i mean she's she's a smart girl Um, but beyond that she's also a virtuoso musician and a heck of a piano player and very 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 few people realize that because the the only thing we really know of her is you know what she looks like in the spotlight wearing like neat dresses and all these crazy outfits and the the pop music that she does but we don't realize that um she is like Sia to me in the sense that she's a musician's musician. Um, and if you if you have a chance, please immediately search for um, that performance as well as her Julie Andrews tribute um, on the Sound of Music for the 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 the, the, the Oscars. It's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Um, and for for all intents and purposes, it's it's it it changes what you think of Lady Gaga if you haven't seen any of that kind of stuff from her in the past. Um, kind of a quick side note on that too. She ended up doing um, all of the original songs from The Sound of Music in the original keys that um, Julie Andrews sang them in, which is way higher than her range. And she had to train for months in order to be able to do that. And, but she wanted to stay true to the originals as well as to give tribute to 
or and pay tribute to to Julie Andrews and her her amazing performances in that that movie. So I had respect for Lady Gaga before, but watching the Stevie Wonder performance alone was enough to add at least two or three notches to the level of respect I have for that for that woman. It's amazing. And she's a great um, wraparound back to stickiness because mm-hmm. um, you know, like you mentioned, the the meat dresses and all the uh, the strange things that she would wear and all those that's stickiness mm-hmm. she had the talent she had all those things and she had worked for years and got nowhere but yep. the moment she started doing those um shocking um wardrobe uh all of a sudden she started hitting and it wasn't that it's not like she wrote music any differently she still was always talented um yep. but it was that that made her sticky people remember oh that's that's a girl with a meat dress how can you forget you know something what, like that? That's sticky. You know what's even funnier about that is I think now because she has because weird is is her her calling card. I think she is one of the smartest pivoters in all of of all of pop culture in the sense that because people started to see her as the weird chick, she did a full one eighty and did a Julie Andrews tribute of all things. Well, didn't you she know? do a whole bunch of stuff with Tony Bennett for a while too? Yeah, she did a bunch of stuff with Tony Bennett that was really really good. Um, she has um, one particular performance that I remember off the top of my head um, for that song Bang Bang, which Nancy Sinatra made really um, the, the song that it was. But I mean, we forget that she's a classically trained operatic slash musical theater singer and she has some lungs on her. I'm, I mean, if you listen to her Julie Andrews tribute, for example, she is she is sounding nothing like Lady Gaga as we know her. You know what I mean? And it's astounding to see that. I've always, uh, I've always been impressed. You know, it's, it's kind of like the, um, you know, the thing with Picasso, right? Um, people gave Picasso, oh, yeah. they gave him, they gave him, um, a hard time because he drew strange things and, you know, cubism, all that. And people said he had no talent. He was classically trained. He could do all the other stuff. He mm-hmm. just didn't. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. and if you go back and you look at older Picasso sketches, like, um, I think there's like a, it's like a pencil sketch of a minotaur or like a charcoal sketch of a minotaur. And it looks exactly like what a minotaur would look like. Like sure. it, it, it's complete realism almost. And I mean, he had the chops and it, it, it goes to show that um, skill is not as immediately apparent as we sure. think. Sure. And it's not, yeah, as, and I mean, especially from, too. Like, I mean, if you're looking at Picasso, um, you know, he, he, he falls into one of the very important categories. And we were talking about, about true artists last week, you know, big A's versus little A's and all the rest of that. And I mean, some of that's useful, some of it's not. But I think some of the, one of the most important things we took away from that is that, you know, there's a certain level of, of at least for me, um, working with, you know, um, plenty of different types of artists throughout my, my various tenures in the art world. Um, that they're, you know, working with someone who understands the tools so well that they no longer have to think about the tools, um, makes them, allows them the, the freedom to be completely creative without any hindrance. Um, you know, and, and I think that, that what you're describing with Picasso or what I'm describing with Lady Gaga is a pretty, you know, so basically, uh, Picasso and Lady Gaga fall under the same umbrella for, for us. But I think that, that, that stark understanding of the tools um, allows you a level of freedom creativity or creatively that you wouldn't have if you didn't put the work in. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's a weird dichotomy too, because there's also the, there's the other end of the spectrum. That's also true. I don't, I, you know, like there's no 
one true way maybe to narrow this down. There's just many different kinds of artists. But the other side of the spectrum is the, the person who makes brilliant things because they're horribly limited. Yeah, that's true. You know, like Kurt Cobain was not a classically trained musician. He was not um, any of those, you know, like he couldn't tell you what counterpoint was probably, you know, like that's not his training. His training was in like indie and punk rock, like true indie before like it became trendy, just listening to the records and loving those things. Yeah. And, and that limitation of what he was able to play, he just worked the best at. Yeah. And, uh, you could say the same thing about, um, about Tom Waits. You know, uh-huh. Tom, Tom Waits has, um, he's a virtuoso in the sense it seems like he can do everything, but a, his voice is, is very limited. Mm-hmm. But he's taken that limitation of his voice and made it something unique and something that's purely him. And back to your end, uh, the other end that you were mentioning is Bowie. Bowie could do anything. Yeah. I mean, he, he had complete control. And because of that, he jumped. He was forced to jump all over the place. Sure. He had to do everything because he, he couldn't live with those limitations. So it's an, it's an interesting dichotomy. Which would you uh-huh. say that you are? Um, I would say I'm a tireless tinkerer. Um, it, it, it's funny because it depends on the medium. Um, like with photography, for example, I got really, really technical um, and I, I wanted to understand the science of it. Um, so I delved so far into the technical aspects that I actually think I hurt myself creatively at some point, um, as opposed to with music, because I feel like I had a more natural sense of it. I was a really lazy, uh, craftsman when it came to music. So I went more with ear and feeling. And I think that because of that, I was much more open creative, creatively, but I was also more limited technically in what I could achieve. Um, so I, I think it depends on the medium, like with, with writing too, for example, I'm a, I used to be at least, um, when I felt like I had more time, um, I was a tireless reader. Um, and I read so many different styles and so many different authors that I think, um, I felt, and I still feel that in order to become a well-rounded writer that can produce, um, um, a, a clean or, or creative narrative that you need to read a lot and you need to understand the craft of writing, but you know, it, it, I guess it kind of depends on what your natural propensity Holy crap, they make the MacBook Pro hard to get into. <laughs> I bet. I bet. I mean, obviously, the, the fact that uh, you don't need to do that is the reason they don't want to make you be able to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They want to keep things as is, which I can understand. Sure, I totally understand it. I get it. You know, I just, I, me being the tinker that I was, I pulled out my Torx 6 screwdriver, which, by the way, is harder to get than you think. At least it was at the time. Um, <laughs> because it didn't use standard screws, it used weird screws. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so, I mean, it was, it was an endeavor. I pulled it off, but it was, it was quite the endeavor. So we are about reaching about an hour. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that we do what we had talked about last week, which was you yeah, said yeah. you'd be prepared for this week and i hope you are because i'm putting you on the spot sure lamb what are you reading what are you watching what are you listening to um i'll start with music just because i've been on such a huge music kick lately um the the three well i don't even know if i can narrow it down to three but the 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 big ones for me are um this band called junip um which is phenomenal um it's it's jose gonzalez uh if anybody knows that who's who that guy is um 
just absolutely incredible, and you guys need to check it out. Uh, the second band is one that we both kind of find, found individually, um, which is Beirut. Mm-hmm. Um, I absolutely love Beirut, um, and I've been I've been d- diving through um, their catalog in order to, to to find the morsels that I like. And then the last of the bunch, um, which is which is a band that I always really really liked, but didn't really appreciate as much when they were around, was Blur. Um, mm. You know there are there are great songs in their their catalog that aren't really that aren't really that aren't really songs people think about like Coffee and TV I thought was a really really good song um, and it also had one of the most brilliant music videos ever um, it was about a milk carton that goes missing uh, which is hilarious and ironic uh, in and of itself and so you you need to check that video out um, and the song is also great as well plus Blur is just awesome in general so at least on the music side that's for me i'll put what's, the, what's, what's, i'll put those in the been... links for sure that video and blur is one of my favorites as well um nice. as far as music man i really haven't had a lot of time uh to listen to music but in the mail yesterday i received dredge's catch without arms album on... <laughs> 